This is Andrew from FX Medicine. We thank you so much for your support over the last two years. We'd really love to remain clinically relevant to your practice. So if you know of an expert in some area, please let us know. You can contact us on fxmedicine.com.au, Facebook or Twitter. FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Joining me on the line today is Lauren Lacey, owner and volunteer manager at Involvement Volunteers International. She's a naturopath and nutritionist. Lauren graduated from Endeavour College with a Bachelor of Health Science, Harvard University with a postgraduate certificate in Humanitarian Response to Conflict and Disaster and has also completed a Master's of Marketing at the University of Newcastle. She has worked as a clinical nutritionist and naturopath within Australia and over the past seven years has used her expertise to set up health projects in developing communities. And this is a very interesting thing that she does. Lauren is also a passionate marathon runner. I've often called her a pocket rocket. And she's a mum of two boys. Welcome to FX Medicine, Lauren. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Andrew. Nice to be here. Now, you might be nourished by what you've accomplished, but I can't say that you're actually too good because you have only just returned from your volunteer work in Greece. Is that correct? That's correct. Just stepped off the plane last night. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Very fresh. Very fresh, I'll bet. Now, I want to I want to go into this, give our listeners a little bit of a background of what you've been doing. Can you tell me what you've been doing in Greece? Yeah, so basically I had a passion to, I've been watching the refugee Syrian crisis for quite some time and, you know, considering we run different various projects for our org, thought, okay, let's, you know, this is something that I really want to do, really want to help with, be a part of. Mm. And wanted to do take a different scope on it and do a nutrition sort of naturopathic focused project, looking at malnutrition and herbal support for breastfeeding mothers. So I put out a post on the Facebook naturopathic page, and um, you know, was hoping for a team of four to six, and got an overwhelming amount of response from wow. Nats and Nuts, yeah. and ended up taking a team of thirty. Um, and that's, that expanded to doctors and nurses as well. So we were an integrative bunch, um, quite colourful, different personalities, but it really was a nice compliment um, to work together. But that would have shown in, in their various specialties as well. It wasn't, was it just naturopaths or did you have nutritionists, acupuncturists, any other types of health professionals, professionals with you? We had a couple of naturopaths who had yoga teaching experience and massage therapy. And the massage therapy was a huge hit. Daniela um, in an Offida camp, the women loved her and the teams actually asked if she could spend more time in her day doing, you know, hand massages, foot massages and shoulder um, massage. And it was just a really nice because the women, as you can imagine, don't get treated. So it was a lovely thing to add on to the naturopathic skill set. 
And did you specialise or did you restrict the scope of your help there to breastfeeding? Well, we had – so because the team was so large, 30 of us, we had wow. split the team up into smaller groups. Yeah. So there were two projects in particular that focused on the infant young nutrition and breastfeeding. And Ritzona Camp was the one that I uh, worked at, and it was heavily based on encouraging breastfeeding support for women in that first six months. So statistics show infant mortality rates are increased when you introduce formula in a refugee emergency environment because there's so many factors, you know, sterilizing bottles, access to clean water um, that come into play, whereas breast milk is readily available. Um, there's a misconception that, you know, with trauma comes no milk. And, and yes, you know, we know that stress definitely decreases supply, but the more you get that baby suckling, suckling the yeah. more the prolactin is, you know, increased and the milk will come back in if you've got the right support network. So that's, that was one of my sort of passion focuses being a mum who breastfed both my boys for the first three years of life and yeah. just saw how much it benefited them. I really wanted to, you know, assist from that nutritional standpoint. Yeah. And where the naturopaths came in beautifully for that too was um, Jules and Sharon had the idea to make breastfeeding teas, which expanded into immune teas. So we went to the local herbal shops, bought a whole bunch of dried herbs and everything in Greece is amazing quality. It's all locally grown and picked and harvested. So they made up some nice teas and then in the women's tent, we taught the women how to mix them up and make them together and then shared a pot of tea with them as well. So that was a really beautiful um, experience that came out of that. Wow. It's, this, there's already different questions going through my mind. I'll get to cultural <laughs> issues a little bit later. Yes. But you mentioned that massage was a huge hit. So you were, did you yes. only have one massage therapist there? We did, we did, and we just got so much feedback, you know, from the camps that it was just so well received and such, again, I mean, you forget, you kind of think about just all the essentials, but you forget that the women and, the, you know, the families are living in these camps, it's their lives, so things like nail polish, you know, they get so excited by that because it gives them something to make them feel beautiful wow. and feminine, yeah. and the massage just touched the, you know, the the benefits of touch and, and soothing, you know, those tired and sore muscles is just so beneficial from an emotional standpoint, you know, as well. The, look, you're absolutely right. Indeed, like even in our developed, you know, nice, safe country that we have here in Australia, there was a really mm. good study done by Endeavour College in Melbourne um, under the auspices of Leslie Braun and her group and Professor Frank Rosenfeld at the Alfred Hospital, looking at uh, elective cardiac surgery patients. And they thought, well, what about the benefits of massage? How do we massage these people when some of them have had their, uh, you know, a cracked chest? You know, they've had their chest split open and wired. It's now wired shut because they've had valve replacements, major heart surgery. They can't lie on their front to have a back massage. Mm -hmm. So what do we do? What about personal space, intimate intimate space issues. So all they did was a foot massage and it had incredible, <laughs> incredible um, measurable effects on decrease of inotropes, decrease of pain medication, it, like incredible effects. I've got to ask yeah, wow. you, yeah, these people have been through m- much more traumatic instances mm. where it is the, their very lives that are in danger. Yes. So... 
How did touch and the trust issue get broached? Yeah, I think we introduced the massage about a week into it where Daniela had been there and, and she's also a trauma counsellor. So she uh-huh. has some nice different things to compliment, you know, because the people that they're, they're incredibly traumatised with grief and loss, they witnessed death, murder, rape, kidnapping, torture. There was quite a few shrapnel wounds that we saw that were infected that hadn't been treated properly. Um, and I guess the thing to point out too is it's not just Syria refugees that are coming through Greece. We've got people from Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq, Yemen, um, some of the African continents too because they tend to travel via land and get all the way to Turkey and then they cross at sea at Turkey into Greece. Yep. So that's where, you know, that's their entry point into Europe. So yep. you get so many nationalities living together, which also creates its own issues because you know, disagreements on things, the different languages. You've got, you know, the Kurdish, the Farsi language, and then you've got the Syrians who speak Arabic. So, um, you know, we saw on the first day we were there, there was a woman who was uh, pushed over and beaten over a blanket that she was trying to get for her child. And, you know, between the different cultures, um, yeah. it's quite full on in, in day in the life of a camp. I've got to broach some of this sort of thing from a security perspective. You know, like we in the mm. Western world get our nice little, you know, ABC, SBS, CNN, whoever the news broadcaster is. But these can be highly swayed, let's say, yes. depending on which sensationalised story um, they want to pursue. Indeed, I will always remember um, one where a, a reporter was tripping over people, tripping people Mm. over um, to try and gain a more sensationalistic photo. And she was caught red-handed on camera tripping people up, um, Mm. which disgusted me. Um, Mm -hmm. But then there's also this fear of the people who these – who these um, refugees are coming into, the the country – people who these people are coming into from a security perspective. Who are they? What are they bringing with them? Are they safe? Are they indeed terrorists? What about cultural Mm. aspects compared to how men and women interact in Greece compared to uh, contrasting to how men and women interact in maybe Afghanistan or Pakistan? Yeah. How did you broach this one? Yeah, well, look, I found it was very segregated. Chios, where I worked on the last week, which is an island hotspot where yep. the boats are arriving into, and they're people smuggled, right? So yep. basically they leave from Turkey on a, on a dinghy. They pay about 1800 to 2000 euros just to get on that boat. When they arrive to the boat, the people smuggler says, dump your bags, they're not coming, so they have to leave everything behind. They're usually at gunpoint, but they force someone in the boat to be a driver because the people smuggler obviously isn't going to risk, you yep, know, his caught. Yep. livelihood. If they get caught in Turkish waters, they get rerouted, and the payment allows seven seven chances. So you, they hope that they, you know, one of these one of these arrivals that gets through, if they get caught in Greek waters, the Greek Coast Guard will facilitate them in. um, And then they get placed in Suda camp and they get checked for documentation. So those that have legitimate papers from countries that are considered, you know, fleeing war will be moved onto the mainland eventually. And those who don't get sent back, Um, the Greeks, 
that initially um, they were very welcoming and, you know, wanted to help as much as they can. They had, you know, sometimes several boats with 50 to 100 people landing a day. Mm-hmm. What I think has happened culturally sort of now that it's been a few years on is all those islands, the Argean Islands, they were all tourism spots for, you know, holiday makers, especially in summer, and the locals rely on business in the summer to get them through the winter because winter's cold and everything closes down. Yep. What's happened is, you know, obviously tourism has taken a huge hit and the locals are no longer embracing the refugees as they once did when they first started coming in because now it's their livelihoods at stake as yeah, well. That's, look, it's a, um, practical, it's a practical load on infrastructure and the effects yeah. that it has on it. And it's not nice. It's not no, nice. It's not a it's pleasant not. thing. It's got to be talked about. No. Well, that's right. And there's there's a group called the Golden Dawn who are very anti-refugees who are sort of hanging around Athens and also on the islands. And in November last year, they were throwing firebombs, big boulder rocks. They actually attacked one of the camps. So there's definitely some hostility. I would say from my experience, it was 50-50 split. So 50% were supportive of the refugees and understood it was their governments that were the problem and that they're just trying to get their families to safety. And then there were the other sort of 50% who were definitely somewhat resentful. And this is just the island. I think mainland's a bit different because there is, you know, there is more work, even though it's still poor being Greece in its current economic crisis. But, yeah, it's a a definitely sensitive topic. And then you've got, you know, EU funding Mm. or they said they in Suda they were giving thirty thousand euros for food programs. So the Greeks sort of look at that and go, Well, you know, these refugees are getting all this support. What about us? What about us? Yeah, because our government isn't helping. Yeah. You've got political sensitivity. You've well you know, you're in Greece and they're part of what's called PIGS, which was the Portugal, Italy, Greece and Spain. The the countries that that you know were doing the worst out of the economic world economic crisis um, mm-hmm. from when was that two thousand and eight wasn't it Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's seventy for the years in Greece. It's seventy five percent unemployment rate, and it's about fifty five percent unemployment rate for the general population. So wow. it's really bad. Wow, we. Mm, so it's you can imagine. There, there's a whole onion skin effect here, isn't there? What you know that's yes. you know you uncover one one issue and there's another issue underlying it and another one. There's so many different viewpoints when you're talking about cultural issues as well, put, turning it into a melting pot. So I've got to ask yeah. then what you, you said earlier on in our interview. You said the women weren't being treated. Yeah, like treated medically. You mm, mean? Mm. Yeah, so it depends on when you when you first get to the islands, it's all the local NGOs who get in there, do the hard work. Um, Thirst was one of the NGOs we worked with and they were absolutely incredible. So as soon as a boat arrives, the military will just lock them up until the morning if it's during midnight. Yep. So what this team do is they get there with warm blankets, hot tea, food, new clothes. So that everyone can be warm until the morning because it was freezing. Like, I mean, I'm talking like ski gear freezing. The wind chill factor felt like minus 20 wow. on the island. Yeah, really cold, which is not what you associate Greece mm. with. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it wasn't for those local NGOs. And these are Greek local NGOs. The people would be, you know, suffering. There'd be more hypothermia cases, which was still an issue 
um, as it is. But yeah, they they just get in there and they help and they cover those gaps yep. that you know wouldn't be there otherwise. And that to me was really inspiring to see everyone banding together. And the lady who runs this, she had a little boutique hotel sort of down the coast. And her, she came about that one of the boats landed on her beachfront doorstep and she heard babies screaming and ran down to help. And then now she's turned her little boutique hotel into volunteer accommodation and devotes her whole life to helping refugees. So wow. really, really moving and really giving, yeah. you know, some yeah. local. I've got to say, like, we are so insulated here in Australia. These people are going to die. They're dealing with an acute medical crisis. I've yeah. got to ask, with the different cultural acceptance of natural medicines, though, like, for instance, you were in mm. Chios, that's where Chios, that's mm. where Mastic Gum is from. Yes, so, you know that. Yeah. Impressive. Yeah. <laughs> so how relevant were your skills as a naturopath accepted by, A, the Greek people who you were, you know, working alongside, but also the people that you were treating, was naturopathy or natural medicines, was it a more accepted practice? Yeah, and I think because naturopaths aren't don't really exist in the same way that they do here. So when I'm first speaking with the local NGOs and the local teams, I tend to come from a more nutrition standpoint because they understand how we can work with them. Yep. If I say we're naturopaths, they kind of get a bit confused and think, well, you're not a doctor, you're not a nurse, we don't really know what to do with you. Mm. <laughs> so. Mm. And then it's up to us to sort of um, prove credibility by showing what we can do with herbs. And from what I found with the Greeks and the Syrians, they're so in touch with natural medicines as it is that yeah. they're very open. Like they love the herbal teas. They use lots of herbal rem- remedies as it is just got from going to a pharmacy. The pharmacies tend to be a lot more integrative in, in regards to what they sell. It's not just all you know, just heavy-duty medicines. They've got some sort of heavy-duty herbs as well. So and, they were definitely... Is that, is that partly because of expense? Yeah, possibly. It could be expense. And I think it's just more normalised. Like a lot of European doctors, you know, they learn herbal medicines as a part of their training. So you often get in Germany in particular, you, you get the, the offering of do you want the natural or do you want the drug? And they understand both equally. Mm. Um, so Without judgment. Wow. Impressive. We could learn a lot in Australia yeah. from that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like the herbs over there, they studied like pharmaceutical drugs. You know, they'd, they'd have proper clinical trials. Um, yeah, so it's, it's definitely more accepted, I would say, for sure. Mm. Now that you've landed back in Australia from your trip to Greece, um, with yes. that team of health professionals, which I might add to our listeners that you almost single-handedly <laughs> assembled. Well done yes. to you. <laughs> tell me, you. tell me more, a little bit more about how this idea bloomed and the process of recruiting the yes. the various healthcare professionals. Well, I guess it comes from my background. So with our organisation involvement, Volunteers International, we started, or I started off with my husband volunteering quite a few years ago now, I think it was 2008, in India where I was volunteering as a you know, nutritionist there, sort of assisting the health team, um, took a whole bunch of supplements over and found it was so beneficial and so welcome mm. that I wanted to do more project work around it long term so that we were you know, benefiting the people not just sort of sporadically but ongoing. 
So we set up a, a long-term project in northern India, Bodhgaya, um, then did the same in Fiji, working in a medical clinic there. Um, that one's a little bit more dietetic nutrition focused than naturopathic, but naturopaths have still worked in that team, mm. um, you know, doing measurements and assessments and, and whatnot because Fiji is a whole other issue. It's got malnutrition from an overeating, just the wrong, yeah. you know, non-nourishing food perspective versus yep. this, you know, serious it's true, proper, um, you know, malnutrition. malnutrition so, yeah. yeah. So from those those two projects, India and Fiji, being you know, seeing how much success we had, wanted to do similar, um, you know, in this environment. And this is sort of the first real emergency type project work that we've done. So it was a huge learning curve. Um, and it was great to have the medical, you know, the doctors and the nurses in there with their expertise to sort of guide some of the, the things as well and we could sort of come in and complement. Yeah. Um, but, if, you know, a lot of, I, I think the second week was where people started to think, oh, you know, think of creative ways how they can bring in their skills like the teas um, and then looking at, we were doing, for example, so biocidicals, they needed a huge amount of protein, the ISO way, the bars, the energy bars, which mm. were probably the biggest hit, and then some superfood powders um, as well. So we had in Ritzona, they give out Greek yogurt to the children in the children and infant feeding program. So we were adding protein powder into that yogurt, which made it taste so much better because Greek yogurt sour, right? So <laughs> right. it was, um, yeah, and they were mixing. Before that, they were mixing jam, jam into it, which is, you know, sugary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it was a nice alternative, and then at, you know just increasing that protein amount. Yeah, we chopped up the the protein bars as well into little sort of bite sized pieces for the kids, and then all at Chios they had food packs, so they were getting like sugary muesli bars, white bread, and we switched it out. So we did some um, Jewel made some pro- she bought food processors and was making raw balls. So we added protein powder and the whole food powders to those and then we were switching out the muesli bars for the protein bars yep. and everyone loved them. Like they I would say those protein bars, like yeah, were were wow. hugely popular. And then you've got the issue, because luckily we had, you know, a substantial donation, but with distribution comes a whole other kettle of fish in that if you don't have enough for everyone, they generally don't want you to give it at all because it creates fighting, yep. Yep. you know, favoritism. So that was a whole other <laughs> challenge in that, making I mean, sure we had that's enough. one of those layers of the onion. You know, you, you, by helping mm. you cre- can create other problems. I that's, mean, we, we've seen this nice. with the, uh, you know, aren't we good at, in our Western wisdom, you know, trying to help the um, the Ethiopian famine many years ago now. Yeah. Oh, let's feed them milk because the poor dears haven't got enough milk. They're lactose yes. intolerant. Good on you. Good on you, Western guys, you know. So um, so I've got to ask then a couple of questions here. Mm. I, um, I don't know about Mediterranean or Middle Eastern type um, prevalence of lactose intolerance or intolerance to things like whey or anything like that, but what about things like, you know, the frank deficiencies that we never see here. I've never seen beriberi. Yeah. I've never seen pellagra. No. I've never seen no. quashiorkor. What are, did you see these? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I didn't see those in particular, but vitamin C, so scurvy. Scurvy. Definitely, yeah. yeah, coming up. And vitamin D deficiency, I mean, which is, which is a problem everywhere. Yeah. That I mean, everyone, because they're all the, they're, the women and children, they're covered, covered up yeah. as well. So they're just not getting that 
sun exposure. Yeah. I mean, Mediterranean diet is amazing, but it's just not getting funneled through to refugee camps. Everything, and when you talk about dairy, um, a lot of a lot of us nets and nuts tend to avoid it. You know, just being the way that it affects our bodies. But we found that the quality of the dairy there was so different, and same with the wheat. Because they're big on local farming, mm-hmm. um, not spraying with pesticides. And I honestly personally think pesticides are, you know, a huge part of the problem in Australia. Um, same with peanuts, you know, that can be more of a pesticide allergy than the actual nut half the time. So, you know, you're getting freshness, higher quality food that just wasn't upsetting. And maybe because we've had periods of not eating these foods, but things that would normally upset us, um, were generally being okay in small amounts. So, um, yeah, it was an interesting thing to observe, especially the bread, because they give you bread with every meal. But the bread was just beautiful. It's not, you know, so different from what you get in Australia. And you can just taste it from everything that they make, you know, because it's not only locally picked and picked ripened, they're making sauces all from scratch. So you're just getting such rich, robust, beautiful flavours um, that, you know, you just kind of go, wow, like missing out. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. It, we have no idea how alienated we have become to where yeah. our food should have come from, should, you know. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And this is why I love talking to natural medicine practitioners that truly embrace the the root cause, the whole food, the real deal you know, and trying yeah. to teach that sort of that message, um, trying to take that message out to the population in Australia. You're taking it to people yeah. that just simply have not had access to it for, from, you know, war and, and, and um, political unrest. Mm. Um, how did you experience, though, the, the treatment of women to men and things like that? Was there gender yeah. bias? Was there... There definitely was. I mean, the priority is women and children to make sure they're safe first. So generally when they get into Chios, the women and children are moved on fairly quickly to the mainland and separated from their husbands. Um, 75% of the camp was men, which, yeah, politically is probably not the wisest move in regards to safety and and whatnot, but, you know, what else is sort of like, and they've got two camps. There's another one called Vial, which is more of a, a military closed camp where the troublemakers tend to end up. But right. when you're putting all these different cultures together, you know, there's going to be yeah. issues. There's, there's going, going to, be to be hierarchical. And then you've got, like I said before, the different languages, you know, communication becomes a battle. And, yeah, it's it's definitely a mess. It's definitely not ideal. But given, you know, Greek government only has certain amount of funding to be able to run these camps, it becomes such a, you know, who's at fault, who's at blame kind of scenario. Yeah, yeah. And everyone's pointing fingers all around and UN are in there. Like there's all these different bodies and groups. So it's yeah, it's a tough one. So I've spoken about the safety of the patients now and you've mentioned mm. some of the issues that you've come across. What about the safety of you guys? Yeah, well there were a few hairy like hairy moments. I mean we're always must be in teams together. You never walk through a camp on your own. You have at least one other person with you. But it, when we, because we did tea in the afternoon at Suda Camp, where we would bring hot tea at three thirty p.m. and they'd all come out and chat with us. And sometimes you'd have you know ten men surrounding you, and you'd be, you'd be oh, it's a little bit uncomfortable, awkward, especially when there was that language barrier. Mm. Um, but uh, you know that's 
there was a few times that we were like, okay, we need to move, we need to leave, that we had a couple of guys walking through the camp when there was a stabbing. So there were moments like that. The, the police always clear out the volunteers first. Gotcha, right. But, um, yeah, but generally, I mean, the Syrians that I interacted with were beautiful people. I mean, they come from an educated middle to upper class, you know, background where they had good good university, um, healthcare, you know, they've they've come from sort of a similar environment to us in Australia, mm-hmm. whereas you've got the other cultures and countries who've come from, you know, war that's been ongoing for many, many years. They, they've been in survival mode before coming here. They're not as educated. Um, so it's very different, the different cultures that we interacted with yep. in regards to safety. But, I mean, generally... And the mainland camps, because it is more women and children, you do feel very safe and they do love seeing you there and want to learn from you. And, you know, that's highlight of their day sometimes is just a conversation or, you know, you teaching them something or talking to them and and showing that love and concern. Uh, So I've got to ask now just about the various donations that you've received. Now, I I remember seeing this photo. Um, that you thought yeah. you thought you were going to get a few boxes, but you got like half a garage full or something like that. Uh, uh, five pallets worth. Nice. And more. Yeah, that was just me. The other guys in the team had stuff. You know, we all bought stuff. We had suitcases of medical supplies. It was, yeah, there was a lot of luggage going on, but um, yeah, it was so well needed and so well used. And I'm I'm shipping over another container um, end of March. Mm. Because now we've identified, you know, who needs what and where, and those the, the whole food, the biocidicals, whole food um, powders like the cows and the greens, the gojis, they they're yeah in hot demand, and same with the protein bars. Yeah. So we'll be um, shipping a bunch of those off, and and just yeah, making sure we can supply and support that project ongoing with now the food it wasn't just Isaway and Bioceuticals. There were other companies involved in helping you as yeah. well, wasn't there? Do you want to give a shout out yeah. to these companies? Because I really, I dipped my hat already to you guys. Whoever helped, yeah. wow, good on you. Yeah, yeah. So we had Biomedica, um, we had Bioconcept, and we had so many different supplements, you know, from each of these groups. The Vitamin D, that came in fabulously um, in the northern camps in Greece at Biomedica. Donated. We had the green powders. Um, gosh, we had so many different things. I've got to think across the team now. What what else? I had Metagenics um, providing energy bars for the next round that we're doing. So, yeah, just really grateful and appreciative. And then, you know, we each had fundraisers too so that we could buy groceries and food and mm. people were just so giving, oh, um, which enabled us to buy a lot of stuff and even things like, um, educational books for the children in Farsi to English because everything's in English and a lot of them can't read it. So, you know, it's just wow. little things like that that you pick up when you're there that, yeah. you know, huge miss. Lego for the, the older kids. Like there's so many baby toys but there's nothing in that sort of five to eight-year-old range. So, yeah. you know, we had a couple in the team donate a whole bunch of Lego and, you know, older children's toys and just to help, you know, really fill those gaps. Yeah. And I, I would imagine that the generosity of these various companies in itself mm. would then present, now present logistical problems in transporting these goodies over there. How do you accomplish all of this? What happens? 
Yeah, well, that was one of my big tasks. Right? We took as much as we could in, in our luggage and excess luggage. My goal was to find a receiver in a warehouse so that we can send, you know, things going on ongoing basis, which we successfully did, especially on Chios um, and in Athens, where we can now store stuff so when our teams come, they can pick it up and run with it, as well as training the local NGOs on how to distribute as well and how to utilize the products. So when we're not there, yep. especially the protein, the food-based, you know, not the supplements that need to be prescribed or given from a pracky, um, yeah, it can be given out. So, and so, yeah, we've got a good plan in place to be able to do that so we're not just sort of, you know, because this, this is the risk and the thing you said before, it's like here's all this wonderful stuff and then when it's gone, they feel the vacancy of that. We don't want that. Yeah, want that's right. Continued. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now to the kinds of practitioners that have answered the call. You've said that massage was a hit. So I'm going to give yeah. a call out to any and all listeners and we'll put up websites yeah. so that people can get in contact with you. But yeah. you mentioned massage was a big hit. What about things like acupuncture? Would that be accepted yeah. there? Like it, it very well accepted in Asia, system of medicine. Yes. That's How? right. And it's a good question. We didn't offer it or have anyone, you know, um, provide it. I know there was one of the girls who did bring some of her own needles and, and you know, was using it within the team mm. on each other. Oh, right. And this is another thing, you know, caring for the, the volunteers, the people volunteering other, yeah. is also just as important because you can't give from an empty cup, right? Yep. So yep. it's, um, yeah, that's crucial. So, yeah, it would be an interesting thing to trial acupuncture and, and, um, we had something I did notice actually in in Lesbos. There's a um, bushflower essence, and she was Spanish, but she had all the different bushflowers. She set up like a little workshop outside one of the camps and was offering that emotional support, and they lo- they absolutely loved that. So wow. I think you know that from what I've seen is that they're open to most things as long as they don't think it's going to harm them. Yeah. Um, if it's if it's sort of explained to them how it will help, um, I think it will definitely. And it's just interesting. It's you know it's something different and creates good conversation and and will benefit them as well. Now you've done this before. How many? Yes. So how many trips have you made now? Oh gosh, between India, Fiji, and other countries in Asia. At least several. India, we've been back to multiple times. That one really spoke to my heart. And we took our son when he was 10 over to volunteer with us in India. And one of the best things you can do as a family is volunteer together. Um, It just really gives you a different perspective on life and we know how privileged we are back here in Australia. And it gives you empathy and understanding Mm. to the way other people live. You know, it's easy to judge when you're looking at things on the, the what the media shows us and go, oh, they're bad, bad people or whatever. But when you actually get the time to speak and play and talk to mm. people from other backgrounds, you really, yeah, it's, it's eye-opening and a, and a heart-warming experience. So this this area as opposed to Fiji, what mm. what would you say was the most surprising thing or different thing that you experienced from mm. in Chios as as opposed to, say, um, you know, Fiji you've mentioned was more metabolic issues. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was actually thinking from a political perspective, the bureaucracy was really the most surprising thing about yeah. all the different layers and, you know, how how challenging that can be. But 
Um, from a people perspective, just how warm and thankful and appreciative. I mean, they've they've been through so much, you know, and they've just got these big open hearts and they they want to help each other and um, you know, they'll do anything for their families to live a better life. And I guess that shouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, but it was just so it's just so wonderful to see, I think, and that's when I walk away from that just going, wow, you know, yeah. considering the extent of the danger that they've, they've fled, they've just come from, they still smile, they're still laughing, cracking jokes, you know. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, there's so many questions whizzing around in my head now, and I guess one mm. of one of them is, given that they're in a camp, which is a restricted physical geographical area, um, I've spoken to a guy called Sean Hessler before. Hi, Sean. Call out to you with Naturopaths Without Borders. And yes. what what they focus on is teaching the the local people to re-embrace their traditional dietary, their traditional diet. So, for instance, yes. um, you know, he focuses on moringa and, and um, uh, amaranth, yes. and, amaranth and, and things like that. But, yes. you know, if these are in refugee camps where they're in the thousands, where do you grow this stuff? So is yeah, there facility for that sort of approach? Well, some of them do have community gardens. So yeah. the camps oh, okay. on the mainland, people, and this is the thing, people are in transit, so they tend to not want to get too established yep. somewhere and they can move move around fairly quickly. But um, some volunteers had set up some gorgeous, yeah, gardens that had vegetables and fruits, which gives them something, you know, to look forward to and do to for the green thumbs out there, yep. um, which, you know, I think was really lovely. And it was all Greek, obviously, local, whatever's local to the Greek um you know, seasons, mm-hmm. which is important as well, eating seasonally and, you know, what the best nutrient needs you're going to get out of the food. So that was something I did see and something I'd love to tap into more because I think that's, you know, it works hand in hand with what we're trying to do. Yep. Just before I close off, there's one thing that I just want to remember, and that was a lecture by David McLeod. Many mm. years ago, this is showing how old I am, and he was talking about treatment yeah. of um, post-traumatic stress disorder. And I'll always yeah. remember he was mentioning this, I think it was a woman who had PTSD, um, mm. was really, you know, exceptionally sad, obviously, but was bereft of something. And when all of the layers of pain were covered off, you know, were, were taken away, one of the things that this immigrant had lost was her garden. And ah. and so David got her to reestablish a garden. Yeah, that's excellent. And it brought back love into her life, happiness. And brought back that sense of normalcy. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's really interesting and something so important is that they have something to look forward to and, and, you know, each day that they're not just, while they're living in limbo, that if they can still tap into their passions. But there's a couple of guys at Suda Camp who would go and use the gym because they're allowed to, you know, roam into the town in the in the daytime and then have to be back by seven. Yeah. And I thought that was really good that they're still, you know, even though they're not getting much food, <laughs> They're still out there making the most of it and, and doing what they love. And even animals, I'd love to see more animals because mm. there's quite a lot of dogs and cats everywhere around Greece, um, you know, interacting with the people because they too can be very healing. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. 
Yeah, as long as they as long as they themselves are looked after. <laughs> you know? Yes, yes, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> so you're planning to head back when? Yeah, the next trip will be June, July. So it'll be summer this time around. Twenty seventeen. Um, yeah. June, July, twenty seventeen. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This year, so that will be the next group. And sort of between that time, we'll start looking at getting general volunteers to help because they have a lot of general, yeah, construction type work. They're handing out things like clothes um, that are needed all throughout the year. So anyone you know has just wants to do some general volunteering can go any time. Yep. So can you give our listeners some websites to look at? Um, I want as yeah. much exposure for this as well. We'll definitely be putting this up on FX Medicine. One thing I just wanted to point out was I know that you know my colleague Rebecca Guild who showed yeah. me some photos of some of the clothes that, that these people had had to wear. And I remember mm. the pair of jeans that had been soiled, obviously, and somebody had had to wear soiled jeans yeah. for God knows how long because they yeah. didn't have access to the basic, basic infrastructure that we have, i.e. clean running water. Yeah. T- tell yep, me how people can help. Like, how can we help? What ha- What needs to happen? Yeah. Look, I think, I mean, a lot of the donations are fantastic, you know, anything, because they need everything from clothes, donating secondhand clothes that you don't need, baby clothes, children's clothes. Jeans and shoes were actually the most demanded thing for this sort of next couple of months. They didn't have enough shoes um, and jeans as well, but coming into summer, it would have been more T-shirts and, yeah. you know, cooler Remember clothing. that, it, yeah, so our clothes that we'll be discarding in Australia, the summer-type clothes, are the ones that yeah. they will be needing. That's it, because opposite seasons. So, yeah, anything, you know, you don't have, we can definitely, you know, because considering we're organising a shipment anyway, we can add, you know, an extra pallet of clothes if anyone wants to give. Yeah. But, um, food things are best purchased over there, like the grocery bags that we did, because then you can support the local economy as yep. well, which I think is also uh, important. Very but, important, very good. Yeah, but so our organisation involvement volunteers international. The website's www.volunteering.org.au. Nice and easy one. Yep. Um, and on there you'll see a link to the Syrian Refugee Project. We'll be updating that now that we've come back and have a bit more understanding of, you know, how it all works and some of the, the various locations that we'll be working in that we thought we could, you know, benefit the most. This first trip was sort of going into lots of different camps and lots of different locations, but we'll nail that down to sort of just three main ones for the next trip. And, um, yeah, we'll have another nutrition naturopathic team Leave June, July, so well, looking forward to it. Well, you can bet your bottom dollar. I think Beck's already on to. She's a master at um, getting the message out th- via social media, so I think that's already underway. But, um, I, awesome. you know, I give a call out to any company that can spare any of these things, even if they want to contact you. Is there a yes. way that somebody can contact you? Yeah, so my email is Lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N, at volunteering.org.au. Or um, they can call me as well, 0466-568-767. Well done. Lauren, you, uh, you, you're not just a pocket rocket, you're a pocket rocket with a heart. Well done. I can't thank you enough. You're just <laughs> a beautiful you. human being. Well done for organising this. It's no small feat that you've accomplished. 
Yeah, thank you. And I definitely couldn't have done it without an amazing team and some really generous sponsors. So, you know, shout out to, to all the companies that contributed and all the people that donated and, yeah, made it, made it very worthwhile and successful. Well done, Lauren. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. If you're loving our FX Medicine podcasts, please don't forget to share us with your colleagues, family and friends. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today on FX Medicine, please engage with us and let us know what further topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in contact with us through our website, fxmedicine.com.au or look for FX Medicine in your favourite social media platform. You can also rate and review us on iTunes and we'd really like to thank those who have already rated us. It's through your continued support that enables us to bring you current, complex and relevant topics to enhance your practice of natural medicine.